What's up, Charisse? I'm all right. Took some time out of your busy teaching schedule. Well, you're lucky in the sense that I don't have classes today, but I do have to see students when I don't have classes. Do you have your own bathroom? Which is more intense. No, I don't. I find that weird, actually. This is Making It Up, episode 188, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Tan. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Makin, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off in each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really, we are working through things, and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making It Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com. For Discord access, shop discounts, exclusive newsletters, and more. Let's get into it. Yeah, what happens when you have to go drop a deuce or something? Okay, no, that's not what I find weird. <laughs> I what I worry about, but okay, worry is overly intense. But you know how students will talk about teachers, which is totally fine. I expect them to talk about us. Wait, in know, a way where arguing. you are also privy to the information and the topics they're talking no, no. about. No, they talk about teachers be- behind our backs essentially. Yeah, that's what I mean. But you don't know what they're talking about. No, but I know that they do, because obviously. Right? Like they share information about the classes that they're Did in. Did you guys see what students. Charisse was talking about in class? So I just don't want to be in a really awkward situation where like I exit a stall and there are students who were talking about my class or like talking about me. And that this, is, your, that is your nightmare? This is a nightmare, I think. Dude, obviously you would stay in the stall until they were done and they left. You wouldn't come out unless you were going to reprimand them. No, I wouldn't reprimand them, but how long can you stay? Okay, this is actually, okay, let me clarify. This has not happened, but it's... this is a thought that has crossed my mind because I've heard students in the bathroom talking. Well, now I feel like they're going to not ever talk in the oh, bathroom. Oh, man. Yet. Talking about teachers in general. Okay, okay, like okay. So this comes from a pre-existing situation that happened or an, a previous yes. situation. Okay. Yes, nothing really dramatic or whatever, but it then occurred to me like, oh, this is weird. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it could happen in an office. This is like the stuff that sitcoms are based off of. You know, trash talking some colleague, and then it turns out that they were in the bathroom stall behind you. They so. open the door and they clear their throat. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Exactly that. That is the stuff of like social nightmares. Nice. How's... I almost picked this for today's topic, but I didn't think that you would be familiar with it. And also, it would just feel really gossipy. Did you see the viral New York Times Magazine piece? called bad art friend no nope. no one on your timeline i i honestly haven't had time for twitter like i usually do so okay. maybe that's why okay it's so gossipy essentially there's these two writer friends who turn out over the course of this actually very long like six thousand word piece to not really be friends and the main point of tension is that one writer is accusing the other writer of plagiarism they both work for the new yorker no, they're both okay. A lot of people online have also said, I cannot believe that this is in the New York Times. They are both just writers of fiction and nonfiction, just authors, and they're both associated given, to the New York Times. They're both given like a digital page in the New York Times to write about this. The New York Times did like 
investigative research on oh, this drama. Okay. Gotcha. And really at the crux of it, okay, yes, there's like some legal action, but it is like if the New York Times did a piece on beef between you and Arthur Bray. Okay. For example. And then Arthur also Bray dug being up, our friend. Oh, Arthur Bray is our friend and we're recording out of FMBG, which he allows us colleague. to. Yeah. And they like interviewed like me and Alex Mayland and other people to like find out about this beef and then like subpoenaed emails between the two of you. Okay. So it's funny from my perspective that there's even a piece on this. I've, yeah. I read it. It's gossipy. So just funny because it's in the New York Times, it's like not the sun or something. The conclusion okay. from the internet is that everyone performed somewhat badly. Bad actors all around. Bad actors all around. Got it. They are all not excellent people the way they come yeah. across. I would hate for that to happen to me. Hmm. Luckily, probably won't. Uh, other bit of weird news I almost picked for today's subject is that evil ape thing, which now I feel like you would have seen. Like a week ago, this evil ape character stole all the money in the wallet. Oh, I'm. When I see hacks, I. It's not a hack. He was the creator. Oh, like a, a rug pull. Is that what it's called? He just jumped ship. Pull, pull the rug underneath. Somebody. He just left. They can't find him. I mean, that happens. I, I'm so. That's a lot of money. Desensitized to that now. Yes, that, you sound very nonchalant. Like, this whatever. is like one of my first. How much ones. was it? Two point seven million dollars. Is that not seven, a lot? Only seven figures. No, I'm kidding. It's That's obviously a lot, a lot of right? Money. So okay, on that note, so I recently. It's the creator of Evolved Apes. That on That's what the yeah, NFT what sounds. Anyways, yeah, so I've been following this project on Discord, like Hearts NFT or something. Anyways, I was just following it because what happens is if you join any sort of like finance or NFT related server, you often get spammed really hard and there's a lot of scams that go around. So I got, I've been getting like almost on the daily, like someone messaging, but hey, there's new, there's new Hearts available and they'll give you an address. And they'll be like, and they'll be like a Google form. Yeah, after you've transferred your money, just fill out this Google form. I've just been watching the wallet balance grow. So it started at you know, twelve hundred US dollars to four thousand. Obviously, ETH has gone up during that same time period, but it, now it's like forty grand, and just off these like quasi micro transactions, of you know, just sprinkling it in there. Anyways, it's crazy. You got to protect shocked. yourself out there. I'm shocked. Yeah. Anyway, should we jump into it? Let's do it. You wanna go first? Sure, I'll go first. I'm in an absolute shambles today. I didn't do my notes beforehand. Came to the booth to do them. Laptop died, so I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. Anyways, winging it. To be honest, I think that I've realized that my working style is very much fluid. Like having. You don't need to bullshit some reason for why you don't have your. No, notes but I, I've I've encountered people that are very very methodical. Well, right? yeah. But I think you do better with spontaneity, spontaneity with borders. I should, you know what? I'm going to trademark that. God, I'm rolling my eyes right now. Eugene, spontaneity with borders can like a boxing name. Okay. All right. Anyways, spontaneity with borders can please tell us what topic you have. My topic this week is a macro take on squid game. And I have to preface why I picked this. So, so this piece was published in vulture by Joseph. Adalian. And what's interesting about it for me is that, you know, most recently I always talk about this idea or notion of 
uh, media fragmentation. Like Sharisha is obviously no no stranger to media fragmentation, where because of the way that we consume media now and because of algorithms, we often get placed into these silos. And these silos are often quite strong and reinforcing. So that means that everything she mentioned earlier today, uh, in terms of the New Yorker slash New, New York Times piece. It's not a New Yorker sorry, piece. The piece that was in the so in relation to Sharice, she mentioned that New York Times piece and also the uh, evolved apes piece. Yeah, like these are things that both of which eluded you. Yeah, because I just maybe wasn't on Twitter or it just didn't cross over into the people I follow, etc. So what's interesting is that Squid Game has in some ways broken through its initial bubble, which started with probably Netflix Korea. I was just going to say, then, for anyone who doesn't by some chance know what Squid Game is, do you want to give like yeah, a Yeah, you're cool right. We often just jump right into it. Explanation. So Squid Game is a TV series that's on Netflix. It's in Korean. I'm not going to give too much away because Sharice actually asked me like, oh, are you going to give away any spoilers? I'm like, no, I definitely, I don't even care about the plot line that much. I think if we do, we just need to give people a warning. It's it's kind of like this this commentary on late stage capitalism. Uh, and In short, it's basically a bunch of people that are all brought into this game. It's a kind of Hunger Games-like situation, yeah, okay, just yeah. to reference another movie franchise. And I think maybe all you need to know besides what we said is that it is a drama. There's like nine episodes. I think they've been renewed for another season. Really blew up. So this Super explanation might not even be necessary because you have probably already seen this like on your and we've talked media about feeds, it on Discord news, too. News, et cetera. Yes. Okay. I would say that Squid Game to me yes. felt like an almost like a breakaway series from Parasite. As in Parasite being the, the really popular movie from a year or two ago that won won awards. The Bong Joon Ho movie, yeah. Palm Door, Oscar, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So like I said, I have more of a macro perspective on why I wanted to do this and it's really around how do you set up something to be global in a time and place when it seems like the world's shrinking in a way. Like yeah. we can't travel. There's greater sense of nationalism. This movie in itself is Korean, but they've managed to find a storyline that actually has global relevance. You know it, what I mean? It is very interesting because I did not think that it was going to become as popular as it is. Not because I don't think it's good. I haven't even watched it. Okay, but you have potential intentions to watch it. I well, my partner has potential intentions if I'm in the house and I watch it with him. And when it first came out, I thought, oh, that's cool. Like I wasn't dismissive. Like I thought it was cool, but just not like super interested. And then it really spread so quickly. And when you put pick this for today, I was thinking back. You know how Netflix does occasionally. I mean, they produce so many originals nowadays. And then occasionally they produce series that kind of have more popularity, like The Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. If you remember that one with Anya Taylor-Joy chess. about chess? Yeah. yeah. That was quite popular. Like people were talking about it for a moment, but not to the degree that Squid Game is right now, which I think is interesting, as you said. And I don't know which article you're referencing t- um, in particular, but I did read some commentary myself on its success. And I do think it is because. The theme, as you mentioned, is revolving around late stage capitalism and similar mm-hmm. themes as Parasite about a increasingly obvious wealth disparity and inequality. Yeah, and just how people manage money and how they get themselves into binds. 
So a lot of the characters are all unified. The ones that are competing are unified by the fact they are in massive amounts of debt. Mm. Winning the game means they pay off their debts and then some. So I want to lead with this quote by Bella Baharia, who works for Netflix as the global TV head. And she said, we always knew it was going to be a signature title for Korea, but there's no way to have anticipated it would be this big. So this, this popularity actually even surprised Netflix. So this piece has a few different notes in regards to its actual popularity that I'm going to touch upon. Parrot Analytics, who has this demand index, quantifies content popularity by looking at everything from online buzz and Google searches to the frequency of illegal downloads, said that Squid Game was a word-of-mouth global sensation and that it has 79 times more audience interest than the average title. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And it's also broken through to other audiences and it's been just generally well-received globally. And what's also interesting is that the marketing in other markets was actually not necessarily something they invested a ton in. Like, for example, in the U.S., there weren't a lot of uh, press assets that were passed out. It just naturally kind of evolved and grew. Um, but I think there's a lot of interesting things that, for me, from an art direction standpoint, might have made this ripe for, I guess, virality. I think. So besides the content, you mean? Yeah. I like, think... besides the plot and these themes of wealth, there are art direction choices. That... Yeah, I think that actually the the fact that there's this uniform that they wear is very emblematic of the show. Yeah. You know, I think there's also like this very vivid imagery around just like prisoners, right? With numbers. I think there's a nice mix of people that are like attractive in the sense that, oh yeah, like I w- that person's attractive. I'm interested in watching them. The acting is quite good. Obviously that's less art direction. No, but um, I mean, going along that same line of thinking, it's interesting because they didn't predict that it would be as popular as it is. So this is kind of like post-analysis. However, a lot of their scenes, as someone who has not watched it, but is very online, are very memeable. Yeah. They're pr- just in one or two images yeah. can be the basis for a lot of Like the costumes, on. like the guards themselves make me think of stormtroopers from back in the day. Yeah, the guards, I keep seeing the image of the, this is from the trailer, so I don't really think this is a spoiler, but that big killer girl machine from the red light, green light game. I see that image used in all types of non-squid game related context. So, you know, the type of memes where it's just like, oh, this is my mother when X, Y, Z, things like that. Yeah, and one thing I do find also interesting is that Netflix has gone to quite extensive lengths to make this available to a global audience. So what that means is that, you know, I guess beyond before I get into it, non-English content is up 71% since 2019 amongst Netflix's American audience. So we talked about this last week, I think. Traditionally, anything with subtitles has not been that well received because it just requires another layer of, for this show, there are subtitles in 37 languages and it was dubbed in 34 languages. So there's voice actors for 34 languages. Yeah. So that's actually quite quite amazing, right? Because it, it now allows you very different types of experiences. Mm-hmm. Like I subtitles are interesting because I think there's also a degree of like editorialization, right? Because I've had to do subtitles into English. And I'm like, well, there's no direct correlation. Also, sentence structure is different. So you take liberties. I've heard some criticism about 
the accuracy of the subtitles and the voiceovers. Maybe criticism isn't the right word. Not like entirely negative pans of the quality, but remarking that it could have been even better. Yeah. But I accept that the challenge is quite high to reflect some things that are very nuanced in language or culture. I want to come back to a point you brought up about things of global relevance because I think global relevancy is something that actually seems to be going to the wayside in a way. Like I said, big, massive global movements are more likely going to take a macro perspective. Like I think economy, late-stage capitalism, environment, home ownership. Like these are actually things that I found interesting because, you know, a lot of people have lamented, oh, it sucks to live here because of XYZ. But oftentimes the XYZ they list out are actual problems that you'll encounter anywhere you go. Like your inability to buy a home in Canada will probably be similar if you move to Australia, you move to Hong Kong, right? Or minimum wage is going to be low pretty much everywhere. It's getting better in some places. So those are things I find really interesting. Yeah, um, there's it is. There's the- a... On the flip side, maybe the positive spin on that is that there's a growing empathy globally. I put this forward as a hypothesis that because these really big concerns are things that people wherever they're located can identify with, there is also a sense that, oh, the person in Canada and Australia is kind of my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. I think environmental damage is going to be a really big one going forward. I mean, Definitely. we're already kind of seeing it, Definitely. right? The pandemic also, like that was one thing that you couldn't really feel as though you're protected because you live in a certain part of the world or you're even of a so- certain socioeconomic class, right? Uh, one thing too is like, obviously there's a great amount of interest around Korean related cultural exports. Music, obviously a big one. I think fashion's getting up there as well. So this is something that's interesting. And I think that we've talked about this before. There's not an original thought, or maybe it's, I know for sure I've mentioned this before, but I think Korea's done a great job of presenting itself as the creator of a certain brand or style. And I think there's a, there's a pretty high expectation around the quality of outcome, mm. right? Yeah, we didn't really mention this, but yeah, we Squid didn't. Game, besides being content that a global audience can enjoy and having art direction that has the potential to go viral is also from everything I've gathered reading about it a well-written well-directed series which requires a writer director crew studio who know what they're doing and can be expected to produce something of a certain quality as you're saying I mean the same material treated in a less masterful way might not have worked as well same for parasite right with bong joon ho like it could be the same plot but if not treated at that like artistic level might not have had the success that it did one other thing that i think contributes to squid game success which i've also mentioned before in general is when you create something that actually is hyper specific it turns out to have broader appeal than you think And one of the most interesting pieces I read about Squid Game is from this post on Facebook written by a Korean man named Se Wong Ko. 
I don't actually know who he is. I was just linked to this via Twitter. And it's quite long. And he talks about the real life debt situation in South Korea. And he writes this. Korea is a heavily indebted society, not because it's so easy to take out a credit. Interest rates for borrowing are high, even at the four major retail banks. More than 4% is considered usual, though with a home as collateral, the rate may fall below 3% if one has no other outstanding loan. When banks turn one away, borrowing may still be possible at the so-called secondary banking establishments. There, one can expect rates between 7 and 20%. High, but legal. And he's pointing out that the debt situation is particularly dire in South Korea compared to maybe like countries in Europe or mm -hmm. even ourselves here in Hong Kong. And so Squid Game does still maintain particular yeah, relevancy really to its country of origin. And I think making something, and similar for Parasite, you know, Bong Joon-ho did make it specifically to reflect what he observed in South Korean society. But paying so much attention to their actual location and that culture resulted in something that was very broadly appealing yeah it's not as deliberate as saying like there's an issue with people and debt globally which i'm sure you know didn't get easier with the pandemic i mean there's not any mention of the pandemic in this show but the reality is that certain people probably had to find ways to cover their monthly bills right so maybe this even further relates back to them yeah but i but to continue to follow that train of thought if the writers of this series had said oh i'm gonna make something about the global pandemic situation it probably wouldn't have this success because it wouldn't be specific enough and it might try to it might try to obviously to appeal to all types of people yeah yeah it is interesting fail. yeah I, totally because you know we understand what it's like when you try to create something for everybody you kind of need to create for an initial target in mind and if it blows up, it blows up. I, I do wonder if there's going to be some sort of methodical calculation on how to dissect the popularity of Squid Game to see if someone can replicate it, which I would say is actually quite difficult because it's not impossible because you kind of need to just stack a bunch of relevant topics that have global relevancy, right? And then that might increase your chances. You can never hit with 100% accuracy, but maybe you can increase your chances. So what I mean is like, obviously pick a topic that's interesting to a global audience. Who do you cast? Are there relevant types of art direction points or things that like even the meme aspect of it, I don't think was necessarily deliberate, but maybe there's something there that people might consider when they do set design. You know, there's one part in the, in the show where the the barracks or like the, the part in which all these people are living like the guards is actually quite memorable aesthetically and and just like the scenes it creates so i i'm i'm definitely of the belief that you can facilitate outcomes but you can never with 100% certainty guarantee it's going to going to hit I mean, I'm going to say something that might seem quite obvious, but I think Netflix is of the size that they have enough money and to, data as well as a byproduct to give to the right showrunners and creators that are pretty safe bets. There's another show that I've seen gather acclaim. It's actually in its fourth season. It's called Sex Education. 
it is also a Netflix original. And I think there are sometimes criticism of Netflix not giving their creators enough money. But on the other hand, I see in their strategy, how can we give as much money to as many different people as possible so as to increase our rate of getting a squid game? Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, my topic today goes back to a bit of a news angle. Uh, it's been a while since we've done something that's quite newsy. The subject is the importance of this week's Facebook whistleblower's testimony. I realize I have to specify that this happened this week because historically... There's been a few. There have been a few Facebook whistleblowers and probably a whole bunch more just waiting to come out and make themselves heard. So what happened is Francis Hagen, a 37-year-old former Facebook product manager who was at the company for two years, testified this last Tuesday in front of a Senate subcommittee about internal Facebook documents that she had copied and taken from the company that indicated things about the company that she wanted to implicate them for. I'm being general right now because I will give you a more specific list in a bit. Previous to this Tuesday, she also was a key primary source for a Wall Street Journal investigative piece, and she was also on 60 Minutes last week. So by this point, I think quite a lot of people have heard something or the other that came from Francis Hoggett. Do you want to also talk about the outage that followed yeah. shortly after, whether it's related Unrelated, or not? Unrelated, but kind of interesting timing. She also mentioned it in her testimony. There was a long outage this past Monday that was definitely unrelated. There's a definitely? conspiracy theory. De no, I'm yeah. just curious. No, it's yeah. definitely unrelated. It was a coding error. Yeah, that's what you saw too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it too. It's definitely a coding error. Okay. There is conspiracy theories that Facebook engineered it so that it would coincide with the testimony and therefore distract people from the testimony. But Frances Hogan incorporated it into her remarks and said that well, this is what happens when Facebook goes down. Right. What is interesting, and I want, want to talk about more is that when she went in front of the Senate, everyone there did agree that Facebook needs to be regulated. And I feel like this is kind of old news right now. But the question is, how do you regulate them? We finally reached a moment where I think governments, not just the US government, but globally governments have the consensus that social media platforms need some kind of regulation. But what form does that take and who does it? So to talk more specifically about what Hagen is implicating the company for, she said in her opening remarks, I'm here today because I believe that Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. And this is what she said related to the outage. She says a sentence so referencing that Facebook was down and then says, it also means that millions of small businesses weren't able to reach potential customers and countless photos of new babies weren't joyously celebrated by family and friends around the world. I believe in the potential of Facebook. We can have social media we enjoy that connects us without tearing apart our democracy, putting our children in danger and sowing ethnic violence across the world. We can do better. And 
one thing that classic we can do better classic text saying well one thing that helped me like make sense of what might be different about this whistleblower compared to ones in the past is this article written by charlie wartzel in his newsletter galaxy brain titled changing the facebook conversation and he points out that hagen compared to previous whistleblowers didn't say that her argument is about facebook being evil and therefore we need to tear it down and also didn't want to focus on freedom of speech which becomes very distracting from a political perspective right it gets in the states it gets the democrat and republican parties kind of up in arms about something not totally related to facebook about censorship and who gets to say what and wartzel points out that hagen was really focused on how facebook made deliberate product decisions decisions regarding how they make their algorithm and the actual functions of the platforms that are harmful. And so the discussion is not that of whether or not Facebook is evil, but what can be changed in a systematic way, in a detailed way about the product. Yeah, I think it's something that's really interesting because given the current development of various new industries, there hasn't really been a framework on how to manage it right? Social media is one, crypto is another one, even maybe consumer products like vaping, which is basically a glorified cigarette, but it also is done in a way that has changed the form of it. So there are always going to be these things that push a certain boundary that I think inevitably you need to reel back in. But this is, this is a big, big point of discussion, right? Because some people don't want government regulators coming in and meddling with their shit. I mean, we've kind of seen this happen with things in in China where like they're trying to control well they aren't trying to they are controlling the amount of time people can spend playing video games and i i just wonder it's like it seems heavy handed now but like i don't really know how how you would actually manage it because innovation all that stuff you actually kind of don't want to stifle it i think but the you... difference between that regulation and what might come out of these hearings with facebook is that there should be regulations on the company's product decisions in the same way that I'm sure, I don't know the specifics, but for vapes and for cigarettes, there are regulations in terms of how much nicotine or other ingredients, right? I, I, I can't comment on that. But it, I think what I'm trying to say is that- that's what, But that's what I think the regulation is and not a regulation like, oh, you can only, every citizen can only be on Facebook one hour a day. Yeah. Which I definitely see. I, a I guess what I'm with. trying to say is like yeah, that, that's a valid point because there are different ways of managing the situation, but I think it's just more the the layer below of someone or layer above, I guess, just basically an overarching thing that speaks about someone meddling in your stuff and you having the inability to make your own free decisions. Well, this is yeah. If there is if there is definite, I think I understand why it's harder when it comes to. Facebook, Instagram, social media, because being able to clearly demonstrate harm is more difficult than, let's say, cigarettes. Yes. Which you can very definitely scientifically observe a physical change in someone's body through cigarette usage. Whereas, yes, there are studies on the mental health harm that social media platforms cause, but it's not as black and white for people. But it could be but it could be and that's what i think it the discussion right. about facebook is similar too because it is about 
controlling the design of a product to lessen the harm to human beings, right? So you're not saying, or we've had these discussions so long in the past about fast food, right? Can you regulate how much fast food that a person says, person goes to eat? Yeah. You can't, right? You can't say every citizen can only go to a fast food restaurant once a month. In fact, there's a lot of like harmful substances you can't regulate. Yeah. Alcohol. More governments will try to regulate from the other end, from the company's end, to say, oh, if you're a fast food restaurant, you can't offer sugary beverages in sizes over 16, what is it, 16 ounces. ounces. You can't offer sugary beverages in sizes over 16 ounces. So that's the type of regulation that I, if we do it, I say we as if we're government, if governments do it for so many other companies, why can they not apply those same regulations to yeah. social media? Is there a question or or an area of this conversation that you are undecided on? From your eyes, are you positioning this piece more as a, well, this happened and these are things we need to think about? Or is there a stance or direction in which you think this should go? What I would be interested in seeing happen is actually for Facebook to be diminished in its impact because people choose to go elsewhere, which is a little bit of a step aside from this whole discussion about government regulation. But I did see a bit of a discussion about it. And this is the direction that I would like to see, which I don't think the government has anything to do with, or maybe it does in a roundabout way, is that if people get bored of Facebook, then they will go elsewhere. Telegram added like 70 million new users during that WhatsApp outage. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. I think to distribute where people are spending their time and paying attention is, I would say, almost definitely good. Even if someone might say, oh, the platform you're going to still has these dark design practices. If you spread out the concentration of human users, then you don't give any one company all of the power, all of the potentially harmful influence. Oh, one of the last things that I think is interesting that I haven't mentioned is Facebook's response. So they will eventually be called to testify. I think that is an understanding. They have been kind of doing a smear campaign on Frances Hagen. I mean, that makes it sound worse than it is. They're basically trying to discredit her information. One Facebook spokesperson, Andy Stone, said, We don't agree with her characterization of the many issues she testified about. Despite all this, we agree on one thing. It's time to begin to create standard rules for the internet. And what I thought was interesting about that is their acceptance of the incoming regulation, even though they are doing what they can to say that this person is not credible. I mean, I suppose that's to be expected because they want to do things on their own terms and not because their hand is forced. But I think the question is not, will there be regulation? I think the answer is definitely yes. What is interesting to me, what you asked, you know, what do I hope this looks like is to see what the form of the regulation is and how deeply it goes into the way algorithms are written and the specificities of a user's experience and interaction with different touch points on platforms, not just Facebook, but across the board. And I guess another question is who's going to write those rules? Like someone would have to be an expert expert. Like it's not going to be your regular senator. There was this meme or whatever going around of someone trying to get Instagram to cancel Finsta accounts. I don't know if you saw that. No. So basically this, I think it might have been 
edited it in a way to make him look stupid. But basically, he was saying that, like, you need to ban Finsta accounts on Instagram. Well, I mean, whoever it is, it's probably not going to be one person. It's going to be a group of people. And it's going to have to be people who have experience in a very deep way. And you have to tech. know where it's going. You can't just write yeah, rules for today definitely. knowing movements are going to be introduced I, it's for a, tomorrow. It's such a tricky job. I don't want to be slash. I'm definitely not the qualified person to do that. But, you know, we've talked about Web3 a couple of times. You have to write something, like you said, that isn't just going to be, oh, you can't make a button look like this because what if there aren't buttons anymore Web that 3, do that thing? Web3 is also about removing a middleman in some ways. Like you're supposed to self-govern in a way. Well, I mean, my best guess is that they're not going to write regulation that is very future-proof, but I suppose some optimistic part of me thinks if they go to the lengths of forming a group of people to do this, then they'll have the foresight to think about where things are headed. Yeah. That's it for me. Do you want to wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. That's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories, focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.